Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.Church, every life made different. Today, we're finishing up a series that we started at the beginning of this month called Next. And the series is all about this idea that, uh, that God has a next season for you. That there is something in store for you beyond what you're living in right now. Uh, for us as a church and for you as an individual as well. We believe that God has more for you and God wants to do more through you. And, and it's our responsibility to step into that and ask God, what do you have for us? Uh, and so we've been talking over the last few weeks what that looks like for us as a church. A few weeks ago, if you've missed it, we announced that we're going to be launching a uh, Blairsville location in 2020. And I can't wait for that. That's going to be so exciting. Um, and we're going to call it Summit Blairsville because it's Summit Church and it's in Blairsville. I came up with that myself. Very creative, very creative. No, uh, but we're excited because we feel like this is going to make a tremendous impact for the kingdom of God in Blairsville. Um, we see the need in that town, but we also have a tremendous opportunity because we have so many people that are already part of this congregation from that area. So we feel like it's a, it's a good way to leverage what we already have uh, to advance the kingdom in greater ways there. Um, if you're interested in finding out more, if you live in that area, or maybe you're part of the church and, uh, and you just want to hear more, uh, we're going to have an interest meeting here a week from tomorrow, on November the 4th, in this room. It's from 7 to 8 p.m., uh, and we would love for you to be a part of that. So come, um, hear more, um, you can ask your questions, and we're going to we're just going to walk through it. So next week on Monday, we're going to walk through what are services going to look like there because they are going to be a little different uh, than they are here. But we're going to walk through that stuff, answer questions for you, and, and hopefully put some of you at ease about what this is going to be and how it's going to impact us. Because uh, even if you're not going to Blairsville, uh, you might be having questions about how is this going to change what we do here. And so we're going to walk through that together, answer those questions, and just, uh, I believe, that, uh, like I said, God's going to do something incredible through this. So um, one of the things I saw this weekend at our women's conference, I was standing, um, it was at the KCAC, and I was at the top of the stairs. So when you come into the main lobby and you go up the stairs into the arena, I was standing at the top of the, sta- top of the stairs during one of the breaks, and a lady stopped by, and she said, she's from our church, she said, Pastor Mal, I want you to meet my friend, this is Pastor Bev. And I said, oh, it's great to meet you, where do you pastor? And she said, well, I work with Methodist Church in in uh, Blairsville. And I said, oh, that's wonderful. And she said, as a matter of fact, um, we heard that you're coming to Blairsville. And I said, yeah, yeah, we are. And she said, well, this last week, uh, one, of our, one of the members at the church I was at asked our pastor, um, pastor, what do you think about Summit coming to Blairsville? And I went, oh, no, like, oh, get ready. Like, <laughs> brace yourselves. Like, ugh. And the pastor responded and he said, I think it's a great idea. He said, there are lots of people who need Jesus in Blairsville and we've got room for someone to come here. And I just thought, thank you, Jesus, for hearts like that, for pastors who have kingdom mentalities. And so I'm excited to see what God is going to do. I really believe that God is going to advance the kingdom in Blairsville, not just our church, that we're going to see God do incredible things. And so my, my, what I'm asking you to do over the next few weeks is just be praying. Number one, be praying for our church as we find a location, because we're still looking for the right location. Uh, Be praying for our church as we look for open doors and opportunities. Uh, Be praying for the church in Blairsville, because we believe um, that that people, that churches that haven't seen people saved in 20 years are gonna start seeing people come in and get saved in their churches. Uh, We believe God's gonna do incredible things there, and we get to be a part of it. So be praying for the church that's there. Just be praying for wisdom for us. The second thing you can do is, is, quite frankly, you can give. 
if you believe in this effort and, and you want to invest in it, um, everything that we bring in for Kingdom Builders between now and the end of the year is going toward Blairsville. So if you want to invest in that uh, a little bit or a, a big bit, we're okay with that too. And so feel free. Uh, you can give online. Uh, visit our website, summitpa.church. Hit the Give button, and it'll give you an opportunity. You can either pick General or Kingdom Builders. Everything that goes to Kingdom Builders will be specifically for launching a Blairsville location. Um, you can give here, uh, write it on your offering envelope, Kingdom Builders, or write it on your check, Kingdom Builders. You can't give on your mobile device toward that, but those are your options to give toward Kingdom Builders. So anything that comes in for, for Kingdom Builders from now to the end of the year is going to go to Blairsville. And just so you know, we as a staff are watching our budget. We're, we're living tight. If you were going to go on vacation, you said, hey, as a family, we're going to Disney next year, and that's not going to be cheap, so we're not going to eat out as much. We're going to watch our spending. You know, we're going we're gonna to just be better stewards so that we have the money to do that. Uh, as a staff, we're doing that. We're watching our budget. We're living tighter so that we can invest as much as we can from our general budget back into that. So just know we're doing our part. Uh, we're asking our staff and our leadership to give sacrificially toward that as well. And so we're asking you just pray about it. Ask God, what would you have me do? And begin doing that. So maybe you want to do something regularly every week, just a little bit toward that's a help. So pray about it and just do whatever God asks you to do. And we're going to make this thing happen. I'm excited. Uh, today, I want to share a couple of passages with you from the book of Acts. We're going to start in Acts chapter 8, uh, and this is really like the birthplace of the church, what we see as the, the church today. Um, the Holy Spirit descended, baptized people, um, thousands of people were saved, the church sprang up, and people started planting churches all over the place. And what we see in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word, and those who were scattered weren't preachers, they just experienced Jesus, and they knew I'm going to share the gospel wherever I go, because that's what Christians do. And so they were scattered, but they carried the word of Christ with them. In verse 5 it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. So when they heard what he said and saw what they did, or saw what he did, they paid attention. They realized that the word he says has value because of what he did. So we're going to talk about this in just a minute. I want you to lock this in though and think about that. So what they saw is unclean spirits in verse 7. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many of them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed so there was much joy in that city. I love this so much. There was much joy in that city. And this is a question I think we need to ask ourselves as a church. And this is a question I think you need to ask yourself as an individual. Is what can I do or what can we do to bring much joy to our city? See, the question many churches ask is, what do we need to do to get some people in the door? How do we get the, those lost people out there to come in here? And why don't they like us more? Right? Church has been working the way we've been doing it for 50 years. So why, why don't they get on board with the way we're doing church? That's the way most churches think. And that's the way most churches, what, what most churches are asking. But what churches need to be saying is, God, what do we need to do to bring much joy to our city? Maybe instead of complaining about your workplace, you need to ask, what do I need to do to bring much joy to my workplace? What do I need to do to bring much joy to my community? And what we see they were doing is they were preaching the word of God. So they were sharing the gospel and they were living out the gospel. It's pretty simple. So if the church would just live out the gospel and preach the gospel, we're going to bring much joy to the city. He goes on to say in, 
in, in verse 24. Oh, well, let me, let me explain this. This was a great church. He started this church. People were being saved. They were being transformed. Lives were being changed. The church was growing. Things were good. I imagine Philip was uh, being asked by his friends, like, man, how are you guys growing that church like that? And he's like, I don't know. We're just loving God, loving the people, and I don't know. And, but things were good. This is a situation he wouldn't want to leave. And, and I'll tell you this. I want to preface this. I'm not announcing that I'm leaving. So I want to tell this story without you getting nervous. Um, <laughs> uh, a few years ago, in my prayer time, like devotion time, I felt like God was asking me a question. I feel like God said to me, if I asked you to leave Summit Church, would you do it? And I said, yeah, I would. I would be obedient. That wouldn't be easy. But yeah, God, if you asked me to, I would. The next day, same thing. If I asked you to leave, would you? Yeah, I will, God. I'm not exaggerating. Three or four days in a row, same thing in my prayer time. And finally, <clears throat> on the fourth or fifth day, I felt like God said, would you leave Summit if I asked you to? And I said, yes, God. And he said, what if I asked you to go to a smaller church? And I went, no. <laughs> right? God, do you not know how this works? You go to a church and you grow and then you go to a bigger church. And, right? Come on, God. Surely you've seen this. <laughs> and what? And what I realized is in that moment, God was trying to reveal to me my own wicked heart. He was trying to help me see the limit of my obedience. Like, yes, God, I'll be obedient as long as it looks like this. And all of us have that moment where there's a limit to our obedience, where we go, God, I'll serve you as long as I don't have to do this, as long as I can stay here, as long as I don't, right? We have the limitations. Because some of you, if God spoke to you and said, hey, um, I want you to quit your job and go to this other job, you'd say, I will as long as there's a pay raise, Right? <laughs> I will as long as the days off are better, the benefits are better. But I'll be obedient, but here's my limit. And I love this because Philip was a pastor of a growing, thriving congregation, doing everything that pastors dream of doing. And then we skip down to verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. He said, Leave your vibrant congregation, and I want you to go find this one guy in the wilderness. <laughs> That's a hard ask, right? Because he's like, man, God, don't you see? We're part of really, something really good here. And God says, I want you to be obedient to what I'm asking you to do. I've got a plan that's bigger than you. And are you willing to leave this thriving congregation for one person? Are you willing to go to this wilderness, the middle of nowhere? And it says in verse 27, he rose and went. I love this obedience. Okay, God, he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, of the court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So let me paint this picture for you. There was an Ethiopian is the way scripture describes it. There was not a nation of Ethiopia at that time. Ethiopian was a word that was described um, as a word that, that described people of African descent. So it was a blanket word um, meant for an African person is what it meant. And he was a eunuch, and so without getting graphic, what that means is he was castrated, and he was probably castrated so that he could guard or be a, a, a watch for the king's uh, concubines and wives, because if he was castrated, you didn't have to worry about any, any funny business going on. Does that make sense to people? Can, I don't have to spell this out anymore, do I? We're going to keep this PG today. So... 
So he was castrated, and he was a eunuch, and he was probably in this kind of role. But what we see here is there wasn't a king in charge now. Uh, her name was Candace, and that was probably a title given. It really wasn't her name, but it was a title given. And she was queen of the Ethiopians. And again, this is a geographic area. What we see historically is probably from the area that we know as the Sudan today. Um, so he wasn't from the country of Ethiopia, but this is general area. And so he had advanced through the ranks, and now he was the treasurer for her. So he was probably pretty well educated. Um, and he was at a, a position of some esteem, and it said that he had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Now, this is the thing. Because he was a eunuch, there were limitations on his conversion to Judaism. So he probably wasn't a, a converted Jew, but he believed Jewish ideas, and he worshiped in that way, and so he'd gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he's on his way back, and he's in a chariot, and he's reading the book of Isaiah. So he's, he's a good man, he's moral, he's religious, but he lacks something. God sends Philip to him. So it says in verse 29, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what, it, uh, what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now, it doesn't say this explicitly in scripture, but there's this idea that, that's been propagated over time that uh, that the chariot was moving along and that they didn't stop and that Philip just ran alongside it, supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit, just to run. So he's just running. He's like, hey, buddy, what are you reading, right? How awkward is that? The, the chariot's just moving along. Like, well, what do you got there? That'd be an awkward moment, right? My wife, uh, when we were newly married, we'd be driving and, uh, down the highway, like 65 miles an hour, uh, because I obey the speed limit, all of our state troopers in the room. And so... So I'm driving down the highway, like 65, and my wife would go, hey, babe, can you lock the door? <laughs> babe, I want you to know something. If there is somebody who can run up alongside our car and get in while we are driving, we got bigger issues than the door is locked. Like, they're probably going to pull the door off the hinges. Like, <laughs> we got Terminator coming, so I think it's fine if we don't lock the doors, probably, right? And this is what happened. This guy... In one idea of this story, he's running alongside. Now, it doesn't say it explicitly. Uh, he ran to them at least, um, and he could have run alongside them, but maybe they stopped, and may maybe he ran to where they were. We don't know exactly. But the point is, he goes to them and says, hey, what are you reading? Do you understand what you're reading there? Do you, do you get it? And he says, no, how am I supposed to understand this unless somebody teaches me? A few years ago here at Summit, there was a family that came to our church, and after a church, after the services were done, they were so kind, and they were so gracious, and they said, uh, man, we've never been to a church that we understood like this church before. And I said, oh, well, it's great to hear. Thank you. That's so kind. And I said, have you been attending church somewhere else? Yeah, we've been going to a church down in, they named this town. And what church have you been going to? Well, I've been going to, and they named a church. And uh, I said, well, do you guys have a good reason for leaving your church? And I said, well, we just don't, we don't get anything out of the services at all. Like, okay, and I tried to gently redirect them back to their church because that, I feel like that's the heart of Christ. Like, we don't want to steal people from another church. That's not our heart. So we want you to go back and try to make it right and try to work through that, and there's tools. And so I was going through this with her, and I said, now, well, tell me about your church. And she started describing it. I go, oh, do you go to a Catholic church? She said, yeah, it's Catholic. And I go, okay, well, and I get that. So there's some differences in teaching and things like that. And she said, no, you don't understand. We go to Latin Mass. I go, well, I understand why you don't get anything out of the services then, because you don't speak Latin. Like, okay, 
Like, I get, I get it now. And so I was like, well, you know what? Just come to church. That's good. Come on, come on down. Because <laughs> you might not understand our services, but at least we're speaking English. So, um, so come to church. Because this is the thing. They were saying, man, we're religious. Man, we're going to church. We want to know God. But, man, we don't understand, right? And even if they're not speaking Latin, haven't we been in situations where we're like, man, I want to know God, but I just don't understand. I need somebody to show me. And this is where this Ethiopian eunuch was. He said, I need somebody to show me what this means. And so the Spirit said to Philip in verse 29, go, oh, I'm sorry, let me move on. In verse 32, it says, now the passage of Scripture he was reading was this. And it's from Isaiah, and the, it's, it describes Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. And so he, he reads this portion, and, he, and the eunuch says to Philip, about whom, I ask, does this prophet say this, about himself or someone else? And this is the crux of the situation, because... He doesn't even understand that the gospel is for him. He doesn't even understand that there was a gospel. He says, who is this describing? Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about some other guy? And this is, for, for a preacher, this is like teeing up the opportunity. This is like if I was sitting in a restaurant and somebody came up to me and said, can you share the gospel with me? Right? Like, it's like, it doesn't get any easier than that. And I can imagine Philip's like, oh, 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 yeah, I got this one, right? Like, let's do this. And so he does. Listen to what it says in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. I love this so much. Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. The word good news here, it's gospel. And it wasn't originally, gospel wasn't originally a re religious word. It was just a public proclamation of good news of any kind. So it could have been, good news, we had a baby, it's a boy. Good news, I got the promotion. Good news, like whatever it is. And for us, there has to be an understanding that good news is a proclamation. That we have to open our mouths to share good news. Um, there is a quote that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, and you may have heard it before. It says, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. <laughs> and I understand what it's trying to say, because what it's saying is our lives should communicate the gospel, which is 100% true. But this is a cop-out for us to not share the gospel with our mouth. Because we say, well, I'm just going to love people well. Well, I wave people in in traffic, right? I'm nice in the drop-off line at school. Like, I don't honk at anybody. Like, I'm, I'm living out the gospel. Eh, eh, I don't know if that's really what it's talking about. Because the gospel is an announcement of good news. It's a public proclamation. So this is like saying, um, hey, give me your phone number, and if necessary, use digits. Because there's no way for me to get your number without the number, right? And there's no way to proclaim the gospel without using our mouths, without proclaiming the gospel. And I want, you to, I want you to understand this. We do a lot of stuff as a church to serve our community, to bless our community, to bring joy to our community. We work to do that. But that is not enough. There has to be a public proclamation. See, works are important not to communicate the gospel, but to tangibly demonstrate the gospel. 
Gospel preaching is explaining with our words what we demonstrate with our lives. So we have to explain to people why we live the way we live. And we should live in such a way that people say, why do you live like that? Why are you so generous? Why do you help these people? Why do you come alongside other churches? Why do you do this stuff? And we say, because Jesus. We open our mouths and we start with scripture and we tell the story. Because this is the thing. Good works, apart from the gospel, simply make people more comfortable on their way to hell. If all we do is nice stuff, but we never tell them about a Jesus who died for them and loves them, and that's the why behind why we do what we do, then it's all for naught. You know, I heard this last week that um, some of the folks that work at the borough of Blairsville are excited about us, our church coming to town because they know what we've done for the police force here. They know what we've done for the teachers here. They see how we've brought joy to our city and they're like, yes, please, you come on. They're excited because they see what we're doing. But it's not enough for them to see what we're doing. Because I want you to know, as soon as they say, why do you do this? I'm going to tell them. I'm going to open my mouth. And I'm going to start with scripture. And I'm going to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's why we do what we do. And I want you to know something. You might be terrified of sharing your faith. It's this simple. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to go to seminary. It can be this simple. Um, Man, why do, you, why do you do that? Why do you go to church? Man, you didn't used to go to, but now you're going to church. Why do you do that? This is you being teed up, like wide open to share the gospel with somebody. And you don't have to say, Matthew 5, 7 says, <laughs> John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Like you don't have to do like, <clears throat> that's gonna freak some people out. When they say, why, why, is it you go to, why is it you spend so much time? Why do you act indifferent than you did before? Man, you used to come out with us after work and you don't do that? Why? And you could say, you know what? I can't explain it. I don't know all the ins and outs, but this is what I know. Man, my life was kind of a mess. And somebody invited me to this church. And I don't know what happened. We experienced God. Something happened in me. Man, my marriage is better than it's been. Man, uh, my life has changed. I just feel like things have lined up. I don't know. I can't explain it. I just know something happened in me. I just know that God is working in my life. It can be that simple. Because you don't have to have all the answers. I got bad news for you. If you think I've got all the answers, you're going to be really disappointed. (laughs) Because I do not. So you don't have to have all the answers. You just have to open your mouth. Start with scripture. Here's what God did in me and share the story of Jesus Christ. That's what it says, and I won't read this part to you. Let me just explain it to you. In the rest of this story, um, I love this. Philip is telling him. They're in the chariot. They're riding along. He's telling him about Jesus, and they see uh, 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 some water, and I'm imagining they're going down the road, and they see some water in the ditch, and the eunuch's like, I want to get baptized right now. And so they stop the chariot. They get out. They go down in this body of water, in this ditch, and he baptizes him, and when he comes out of the water, Philip is translated, bam, he's gone. And he appears 
<laughs> this other town, and I was zoom, like, where am I at? Like in the GPS, he's like, what? How did I get here? Then it says that he immediately goes out and starts preaching the gospel everywhere he goes until he gets to Caesarea. And the Ethiopian eunuch, as soon as Philip disappears, he goes away rejoicing. He knows that God loved him enough to send him. And this is what I want you to know today. Uh, God loves the one very much. God loves the one so much that he said, Philip, I know you're doing a good work at this church, but I want you to leave this church and go find this one. Because this one is important, this one is valuable. In fact, what, what historians will tell you is that many people believe this one was responsible for bringing the gospel to the heart of, of Africa. Who knows how many people were impacted by this one? There's a story about a man named Charles Plum. Charles Plum was a U.S. Navy pilot. He um, flew 75 missions in the Vietnam War. On the 76th mission, he was shot down by a surface-to-air missile. He, he parachuted to safety. Uh, he was captured by the, by the North Vietnamese, and he was held in a communist Vietnamese um, prisoner of war camp for six years. When he eventually got out, he had resumed civilian life. He was sitting at dinner with his wife one day, and a man tapped him on the shoulder and immediately stuck a hand in his face. And the man said to him, you're plum. You served on the Kitty Hawk. You flew missions in Vietnam and you were shot down. And Plum responds and said, that's, that's right. How do you know that? And he said, I'm the man who packed your parachute. And Plum records in his memoirs that he was full of, full of gratitude and he was shocked to be face to face with this man. So he grasped his hand and the man says to him, I guess it worked. <laughs> and Plum responds and said, it sure did. If it hadn't, I wouldn't be sitting here today. And so they talked and they finished their conversation. They finished their meal that night. Charles Plum gets in bed and he's trying to fall asleep, but he can't. Because his, his mind is racing, his mind is thinking about the events of what went on that night. And this is what he says in his memoirs. He said, I kept wondering what it, he might have looked like in a Navy uniform. A white hat, a bib in the back with bell-bottom trousers. I wondered how many times I might have seen him and not even said good morning, how are you, or anything. Because you see, I was a fighter pilot and he was just a sailor. Plum imagined this young man in the bowels of the Kitty Hawk with this long wooden table meticulously folding a parachute he hoped no one would ever have to use. Folding this parachute in utter anonymity. No one would ever give him credit because he was just a sailor. He wasn't the fighter pilot. He wasn't the one with a glamorous job. He was just the one who made sure that the fighter pilot wouldn't die if he ejected. There are some of you in this room that you think your job is unimportant. You think your position is unimportant. You think one person is unimportant, but I'm telling you today, try telling that to the baby that gets held back in our nursery by that one. And that baby is cuddled and sung over and prayed over. That one person is very important to that baby. Try telling that to a college student that you take under your wing, that you spend some time with and get a coffee with and just spend time investing in them. They're gonna tell you that one person is very important. That one person paying attention to them and sowing seed into them and believing in them is important. Just like Charles Plum understood that one lowly sailor in the bottom of a ship might be the one who saves his life. 
There's another, another passage I want to share with you quickly. Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul, he had started planting churches and starting churches, and they were preaching. And in Acts chapter 16, he, he sleeps, falls asleep one night, and he has this vision. And in the vision, he sees this Macedonian man, and this Macedonian man is pleading with him and saying, come help us. Come help us. And he wakes up, and he knows immediately, we've got to go to Macedonia. We've got to go preach the gospel. And so it says in verse 13, on the Sabbath, so they get to Macedonia, to Philippi, the city center. And it says, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home, and she said this. She said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us, is what they said. So what we have here is a woman named Lydia. She was educated. She was wealthy. She was a successful entrepreneur. It says she was a dealer in purple. So she, uh, she was a dealer in textiles, specifically purple fabrics, purple textiles that were hard to come by. Uh, so they were for a higher-end clientele, higher-end, uh, higher class of people. So this is a woman who, who rubbed shoulders with people who um, were in the upper echelons of society. And she's the very first convert to Paul's church plant in Philippi. It goes on to say in verse 16, once when we were going uh, to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. So she was human trafficked. She was a slave to these men who used the demonic force at work in her to make a living. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. Aren't you grateful that even Paul can become annoyed from time to time? (laughs) That he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. What we see from tradition is, uh, from history is, not only was she released from this demonic captivity, she was also released from her earthly slave captivity as well because she couldn't make them money any longer, so she became free at that point. And so what we see is this girl who's on the total opposite end of the spectrum from Lydia. We have this girl who uh, has no money, she has no future, no hope, no education. She's a slave in every way, and she becomes a second convert to the church at Philippi. Because of what they did, uh, they were arrested because uh, the, the guys who owned this girl pressed charges, basically. They were arrested. They were thrown into the prison. And that night in the prison, they began worshiping, which sounds reasonable, right? If you're thrown into prison, wouldn't you be worshiping at midnight, like singing praises to God? I would love to say I would. I don't know that I would, though. About midnight, it says, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening to them. Did you hear that? Nobody was saying, shut up. We're trying to sleep here. This is other prisoners listening. I want you to know this. When you are at your worst possible moment, when you choose to worship God anyway, when you choose to sing praises to how good our God is in spite of the circumstances around you, the other prisoners are gonna hear it. It's gonna do something in them and for them when they hear you worshiping God in the middle of your chains. It's gonna inspire them. It's gonna do something in their heart. I'm telling you, we're gonna see this in a moment. The culture of that prison shifted because these guys worshiped. 
It says, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once all the prison doors flew open. Remember, it says all the prison doors flew open, not just the doors for Paul and Silas. It also says, and everyone's chains came loose. Everyone's chains came loose. All the prison doors were open. It says this, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. So let me stop there. This is what it says. Um, He was about to take his own life because the prisoners had escaped. Now, you might know this, that that a jailer who's responsible for his prisoners, if he lost his prisoners, it was a capital offense. He was going to lose his life. So he was going to take his life preemptively. But but what we don't see in tradition, or what we don't see here, is tr- tradition that if you, were, if you were a good Roman soldier, when you exited your, your career as a soldier, if you had done well, Caesar would give you a, a jail to guard, a jail to oversee. This is a way for you to have retirement in your life. This is a way for you to um, have some esteem and have an income and, and just maintain your life. So these jailers were not just landlords. These jailers were hardened soldiers, grizzled. They, they were not pushovers. They were hardcore. They had been successful soldiers, and they were rewarded for their service. And in this moment, this hardened soldier, with, faced with the idea that all his prisoners had gotten away, the best option for him was to take his own life. And it says in verse 28, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. I want to get you that again. We are all here. Not a single one of us had left. If you had been imprisoned unjustly, unjustly, and you were in jail, and your chains fell off, and the door opened up, I'm telling you, I would be out of there. Right? I had a dog when I was a kid that if, if you gave that dog one second, if the gate was open half an inch, one millimeter, if light could get through that gate, that dog was gone. All that was left of the dog was a cloud of dust where it was like, like it was, that would have been me in that jail. Now listen to this. He says, we're all here, not only Silas and I, but everybody who should have been out, they're still here. So this is what happens. Verse 28, the jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell, trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. This is such a preacher move here. (laughs) He says, what must I do to be saved? He said, here's what you must do to be saved, you and your household. He said, we're starting a church. You got some family? (laughs) You bring them with you. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. In the middle of the night, he takes these prisoners out. He wakes up his kids. Hey, these guys that I just brought out of the jail, they're going to dunk you in some water. Don't be nervous. It's going to work out. The jailer brought them into his house And he set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. This was the third convert and his family to Christ. So what we see here is is these three specific individuals that represent people that are all around us today. Lydia represents those that are spiritually interested who are going to be reached through evangelistic events. These are the people that want to know more about God. They're, they're looking for God. They just need somebody to open the right door for them and show them. 
This is why we do things like our Alpha Bible study. This is why we have Eastern Christmas services the way we do. Uh, this is why we do at the movies and why we do things like, um, like family game night is because we want to create opportunities to to reach people that are spiritually curious. They're going to walk in the doors. They're going to experience God and their lives are going to be changed. These are the people like Lydia. There are people all in our community like the slave girl. These are people who are physically, economically, or spiritually captives. There's something going on in their lives that's preventing them from getting to where they want to be. And these are people that are never going to walk through our doors. These are people that aren't going to show up to a service. They're not going to come to Christmas or Easter. Uh, No matter how good the production is, no matter how good the preaching is, no matter how good the music is, they're not walking through the door. And so what Paul understood is he had to go to her. Now, again, he was a little annoyed, but he still went to her, brought her the gospel, and she was set free in the name of Jesus. And there are people in our community like the slave girl that they're never going to come here, so we have to go to them and share the gospel and see them set free. This is why we do... World reach, we send people literally all over the globe to take the gospel to them. This is why we we challenge you to to share your faith with the people in your life because they may never come here, but if you go to them, they may be set free. And the third third was the Philippian jailer. This represents people in our community that I would say are cynics. These are people who have authority or maybe well-educated. Maybe they're the artistic elite in our community that are around us, uh, in our society that they're not impressed with, um, with our presentation of the gospel, but what they are impressed with was generosity and the joy that's on display in spite of our persecution. What, what this jailer sees in Paul and Silas, he hears them worshiping through the night, and their act of generosity, they stayed when they could have left. They said, this man's going to die if we leave, so we're gonna sit tight. We're gonna stay right here because we want him to know his life matters to us. This one life matters matters. So we're going to stay in prison. This was an act of generosity. And I'm telling you, our acts of generosity makes people around us say, why? Why? Why do you do that? Why do you serve the police force at IU Patties? Why do you do the things you do? Why do you go out to the community? Why do you help teachers? Why do you go to IRMC at Christmas time and take them back? Why do you do the stuff you do? And what we see here in these four individuals, including Paul, This was the most unlikely launch team in the history of church planning. Very, very, very different individuals that never would have connected relationally otherwise. They never would have come together because they were so so disparate in their lives. Their lives were so different that they were not going to come together to have church. But what brings them together is the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, their unity was a sign to the Philippian, uh, the Philippian people of the power and truth of the gospel. One of the things that I read uh, a couple weeks ago, there was a, an ancient first century Jewish prayer book called the Siddur, and the Siddur is spelled S-I-D-D-U-R. And in the Siddur, it's kind of like a journal, like a, like a prayer journal for us, or like a you know, a 30-day prayer guide, or, you know, it's sort of like that, but it's a prayer journal or prayer guide for Jewish men. And there are several prayers you can find in Sadur that Jewish men pray a prayer and they thank God, and I quote, that they are not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Then we look at the, the beginning of the Philippian church, and what does God do? 
He says, I'm going to start the church with a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. I'm going to use an unorthodox means to, to reach people. I'm going to take people who are marginalized by society, who are overlooked, and, and I'm going to include these three, and I'm going to bring a Jewish guy in. I'm going to connect them all relationally, and I'm going to prove to the world that the gospel is true because these people should not be connecting relationally. And that's what we see at work. See, I think love on display is the most powerful tool we have to display our faith. Taking that one individual, that Lydia, that slave girl, that Roman centurion, that, or that, that jailer, and believing that their lives matter, believing that they have importance, believing that they have value, believing that there's a next for them too, bringing them together. There's a guy in scripture named Tychicus, and uh, Tychicus is only mentioned five times. And Tychicus is, if you're going to describe Tychicus, you would say that he was probably an assistant to Paul, but he's a footnote biblically. Um, but what we don't see about Tychicus is his role in the Gospels and his role in bringing the Gospel to people today. Uh, Tychicus was a, a letter carrier for Paul. So when Paul was, specifically was in captivity, uh, he would dispatched Tychicus to send letters to different people, different churches. And, and what we see is Tychicus was responsible for delivering the letter to Philemon, the letter to the Colossian church, the letter to the Ephesian church, and also 2 Timothy. He, he might have also been responsible for delivering 2 Corinthians as well. So what we see this man do is undertake a tremendous journey to get to where he needed to go. For, for him to deliver the letter to the Colossians and Philemon, he traveled with a guy named Onesimus who was an escaped slave and they were delivering these letters and they had to leave Rome, get on two different ships, travel 600 miles by ship and then when they reached dry land, they had to walk another 500 miles. <laughs> but it gets worse. These ships were not like carnival cruise lines where you'd go and you'd get on the boat and you knew at the end of the journey you're going to weigh 12 pounds more than you did when you got on, you know, the buffets. And there was no buffet on the boats that Tychicus was riding on. Um, in that day and age, they were, they, were, they were just cargo. They paid for the ride and there was nothing else added. They didn't have a cabin, so when they slept at night, they had to roll out a mat on the deck of the ship or find some place to sleep if they could. They had to bring their own food, and if they wanted fresh food, the only thing you could do is throw a hook over the side of the boat and hope you could catch something. And in order to cook it, you had to cook it on the deck of the ship. It took six to eight weeks to do what he was needing to do. And once he began the, the walk, the walk in some ways wasn't even that much safer because there were bandits, because there were robbers, because there were people who would attack him on his journey. And so you had to be committed to do this. It was not an easy thing to do. It was difficult. It was challenging. He had to be committed to, to what he knew God was asking him to do. But I believe he was because he understood, if I don't do this, there's people's lives at danger. There's people that are never going to hear what Paul's trying to say. Ultimately, about 25% of what Paul wrote would have been lost if Tychicus hadn't been faithful to do what he did. And we could look at him and say, he's just a delivery boy. But thank God he understood his purpose. Thank God he understood that I might be small, that I might not have an important job. 
I might never be noticed, but what I'm doing is important. What I'm doing has value. And I told this story a few years ago. I want to share this with you again. In 1855, there was a Sunday school teacher of a church, and he served faithfully in the role he was in. And he taught a group of, of young men. And like any Sunday school teacher, you have students that do really well and students that struggle. And one of the students that struggled, but he saw a high value in, um, was a young man that he knew he needed to engage. So one day, he went to where this young man was working at a shoe store, and he went on break, and he went to this back room with this young man, and he just started sharing the gospel with him and telling him what he saw and telling him what he believed. And that day, in the break room of this shoe store, this young man gave his life to Christ. This young man went on to do incredible things for the glory of God. During the course of this young man's life, hundreds of thousands of people came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior because of his ministry. He personally sent out thousands of missionaries throughout the world through the Bible college he started and through the church that he began. So D.L. Moody is the young man that was saved in that church that day, in that stockroom that day. And he went on to change the world. He went on to lead thousands of people to Jesus Christ. He went on to leave a legacy that will last forever. But the story doesn't end with D.L. Moody. Because D.L. Moody was conducting a revival service when a young man named John Wilbur Chapman came forward and he was struggling with his faith. He was struggling because he, he wasn't sure about his faith. He needed to be reassured. So he came forward and he prayed with D.L. Moody that day. And D.L. Moody prayed for him and blessed him. And that day, Chapman felt like he was called to ministry. And so he began an evangelistic ministry, began traveling the world, seeing hundreds of thousands of people saved in his ministry. He actually started a church. And in that day and age, it was the largest church in America. It was 12,000 members. You think we've got a big church? They didn't even have the like, image magnification on the side screens or, you know. They weren't doing email blasts to get people to come to church on social media, things like that. 12,000 members. During the course of his evangelism, uh, Chapman actually met a young man named Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday was a professional baseball player who heard the story of Jesus. He, he dropped his profession in a moment and began pursuing a calling into ministry. He began being mentored by John Wilbur Chapman. And they became his father's and son in the spirit. And Chapman influenced him and helped him. And when Chapman eventually went into pastoral ministry and left behind his evangelistic ministry, uh, Billy Sunday picked that up and he traveled the world. He, he did crusades all over the globe, including in Charlotte, North Carolina in 1924. And in that crusade, many people were saved. A lot of people gave their lives to Christ, including, including a group of businessmen who would go on to found the Charlotte Businessmen's Club. And in 1934, these guys decided to have another crusade, and so they invited in a missionary named Mordecai Ham. And Mordecai Ham came in and performed uh, several weeks of services. Crazy things were going on. People were getting saved. Lives were being changed. And a couple of young men from the community decided to come and make fun of these weirdos at this service. And one of the young men was Grady Wilson. And Grady would actually come forward at the end of one of Mordecai Ham's messages. He and his best, best friend both came forward that day. And Grady Wilson would go on to write a number of books, to pastor some great churches, and, and do incredible things for the glory of God in his own right. But you probably don't know Grady Wilson. I bet you know his best friend, though. And his best friend was Billy Graham. Billy Graham did things for the glory of God that most of us can only imagine. Over the course of his life, because of the power of television, he preached to over 2.2 billion people. 
He shared the gospel in person with 215 million people through his crusades and live events. 2.2 million people surrendered their lives to Christ because of Billy Graham's message. See, Billy Graham gets a lot of credit for his life and what he did, but do you know who doesn't get very much credit? Edward Kimball. Nobody knows him. He was just a guy who was faithfully doing his job, who saw a young man who was struggling, and he thought, I can invest in this guy. I think I can help this guy. God's got a purpose and a plan for him. He recognized the value of one, and that one became Dale Moody. And what we see is Dale Moody influenced John Wilbur Chapman, who influenced Billy Sunday, who influenced Mordecai Ham, who influenced Billy Graham. And today, millions and millions and millions of lives were changed because one faithful Sunday school teacher spent some time with a young man. He went out of his way to influence him and bless him. See, legacy is not about what you're known for, but what you set into motion. What are you setting into motion? Who's the one person that you can invest in in your life that, that, that might be a world changer? Because you might say, Mel, I'm small. Man, I don't have a platform. Mel, I don't, I'm, I'm not a good speaker. That's okay. You can use your gifts for the glory of God. You can use your gifts to influence one person who might change the world. You can use your gifts to come back in our kids' wing and to teach a first grader or a third grader or a fifth grader about a Jesus who loves them passionately. You can use your gifts to, to sit at one of our cameras and live stream this service to thousands of people all around the, the globe. You can use your gifts in this church. Last week we talked about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Maybe your Jerusalem is here in this church. Maybe it's across the street at your neighbor's house. You go over there and share the gospel with them. Maybe they're your one. Whoever your one is, I believe there's somebody that God is asking you to be faithful to, to say, I'm going to invest in them. I'm going to help them. And I might not be able to change the world, but I can change this person's life. So who's your one? Will you respond to God when he points them out, when he directs you that way? Will you be faithful to do what he's asking you to do? Because one person can change the world. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you sent your son for us. That even if I was the only one, it sounds like a cliche and it sounds like things pastors say, but God, if I was the only one, you still would have sent Christ for me because you love the one. God, I pray that you would help us love the one as well. God, help us to do like Philip did and leave behind things that we think and the world thinks is important to do what you're asking us to do to pursue that one. God, help us to have eyes like you gave Paul to see people like Lydia, to see people like the slave girl, to see people like the, the Roman jailer, to see that they have value in spite of what the culture says, in spite of what, what religion says. Help us to go beyond those boundaries. Thank you, Father, that, that no matter what our role is, no matter how unseen it is, no matter how hidden it is, if we're being faithful to do what you've asked us to do, you're gonna get the glory for it. So God, I pray that you give us a heart that's open and receptive to do whatever you ask us to do and to be faithful no matter what it may be. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We thank you. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask if you're here today and you say, Mel, you know what? I might be, I might be the one. I've never really surrendered my life to Christ. I'm not walking with him, but I, I know I need to. And so today, I just want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you come forward. I just want to pray with you. And so if you're here today and you acknowledge that you need Christ in your life, 
that you can't do it on your own any longer, and you'd like me to include you in this prayer, I just want you to slip your hand up real high where I can see it, and you can put it right back down. Are there any? You'd say, Mel, pray for me. Today's my day. I want to surrender my life to Christ. I want to make him Lord. Thank you, buddy. Over here on my right. Praise God. Who else would say, that's me, Mel, pray for me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want to surrender it all to him. How appropriate that one person would respond. Thank you, Jesus. I want every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to say this out loud. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, my life belongs to you. Use it for your glory and help me never go back to my old life. From now on, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, the word of God tells us if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, you shall be saved. So I want you to know if you confess that with your mouth and you believed it in your heart, you are a new creation today, whether you raised your hand or not. And if you pray that prayer with us online, I would love for you to take a moment and let us know. So simply text the word salvation to us at 555-888. We're going to help you find a church in your area that you can connect with and begin to grow in your faith. And if you're here in the room and you prayed that prayer with us and you meant it, I would love for you to take one minute, take the card out of the seat back in front of you. On one side it says need prayer, on the other side it says salvation. And if you'll fill out the side of the card that says salvation, when we finish here, in just a moment, take it over to Information Center, give it to them, and they're going to give you a new Bible and, and just help you on your faith journey. So again, thank you for praying that prayer with us today. Thank you for making the best decision you'll ever make in your entire life. Uh, here's what's going to happen right now. I want to close this out by just praying a blessing over you. And as I do that, I'm going to ask some of our staff that are in the room, and I'm going to ask our prayer team, they're going to join us right here at the front of this room. And if and when we dismiss, if you have prayer needs of any kind, I would love for you to come forward and find one of them. Let them agree with you in prayer. If you're here and you would just like to hang out a little longer and pray, please feel free to do so. You can sit in your seat. You can kneel there, stand, whatever you'd like to do. And we're just going to pray uh, as we finish out today. And if you feel like that God's done with you as we're closing, feel free to step out. Uh, but please just do so reverently so you don't dis disrupt what God is wanting to do with the folks that come forward. So let me just pray a blessing over you. And while I do that, our prayer team is going to come. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, you would drop blessing on the people in this room. God, as they walk out of this place today, Lord, let them be carriers of your glory. God, I pray that everywhere they go, they're going to walk in blessing and they're going to carry that blessing with them, God. That the people they come into contact with are going to see you working in their life and they're going to say, why? Why is that happening? What is going on? And God, I pray that it's going to open doors of opportunity for them to share your goodness. That they're going to open their mouths. They're going to start with scriptures and they're going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God, I pray as we carry your blessing and carry your goodness out of this place, God, our communities would be impacted. Our workplaces would be impacted. Our families would be impacted. So God, I pray abundant blessings on your people, on your children. And I pray that you would get the glory for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I love you more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.